Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mike, the official podcast of St. Michael Catholic Church, Gastonia, North Carolina. I am your host, Shane Page, the Director of Evangelization at this great parish, and I'm joined once again with the artful Father Rossi. <laughs> you know, someone actually said, I'll wait for you to say the new word of the day. So today is, is our, the artful Father Rossi. Yeah, yeah. Kind of clever, you know, those yeah, kinds like, of things. I mean, it's funny. It's great to see you, Father. You too, Shane. You know, we're, we're recording this on the um, the Feast of uh, St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence, yes, sir. And could you give us uh, maybe a two to three minute, uh, because I thought we, we have to do St. Lawrence justice if we're having oh, yeah, this podcast yeah, yeah. on his feast day. We yeah. can't just ignore him uh, oh, because he's a, he's a pivotal player. Yes. Yeah, pivotal player. Uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about him. So uh, first off the bat is in the Diocese of Charlotte, we are blessed to have the Basilica of St. Lawrence in Asheville. Very beautiful church, uh, very old, and um, anyone who feels inclined, I'm sure they'll accept any money to keep upkeep of this beautiful this beautiful church. So if you've not been there, it's, it's totally worth the visit. Uh, so we honor St. Lawrence today, especially because of his basilica in our diocese in Asheville. Uh, St. Lawrence was a deacon of the early Roman church, and back in the um, th- uh, third century, um, you know, the Pope had had traditionally seven deacons serving him uh, going off of the, um, the scriptural foundation for the formation of the diaconate, the deacons, uh, and the Acts of the Apostles, where the apostles say it's not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve at table, so they appointed among themselves uh, those reputable men. Um, so that's the tradition of then the seven deacons. And so in the... Uh, and Stephen was the first martyr and deacon, correct? correct. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we celebrated him right after Christmas, 26th of December. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Lawrence uh, lived in a time in which there was tremendous persecution of the faith and uh, the Emperor Valerian uh, very very wicked Emperor Roman Emperor many of them were atrocious but uh, Valerian was exceptionally evil Uh, he decreed one day just every Catholic clergy uh, was to be I think it was the first of August Uh, every every Catholic clergy should be executed immediately Mm. So, uh, I mean, just uh, just immediate execution. And so they went off and started to hunt down all the clergy. And Pope Sixtus II uh, was in hiding in the, in the catacombs. That's where we get uh, the catacombs, the church going underground, having mass um, over the tombs of their already martyred Christian brothers and sisters. And uh, they found Pope Sixtus II and uh, killed him right away. Uh, Lawrence was in hiding for uh, four days, uh, and then they found him. And then I, I guess, as the tradition goes, that the emperor asked him to gather all the treasures of the church. And then the and the Roman church, the deacons, especially Lawrence, was in charge of distributing the wealth of the church, you know, to the poor. And so, since the emperor knew that, they, you know, that apparently Lawrence had, you know, the key to the treasures, the money. Uh, he, he was, it was demanded that he gather all the treasure of the church and present them to the Roman emperor. So Lawrence did gather up all the treasures of the church, and in front of the emperor, he said, with all the poor people gathered, he said, here are now the treasures, the true treasures of the church. And I'm sure the emperor loved that. He loved that. He, was, he thought it was a very moving experience. He converted on the spot. No, 
he was not happy, uh, and uh, Lawrence was sentenced to martyrdom, death uh, by uh, on a gridiron, and uh, basically uh, grilled to death. And so, yeah, and so slowly. Um, and so his graced heart of love of Jesus allowed him to have, as the story tells us, the account of his death was filled with a sense of humor that he is known for saying, okay, I'm done on this side, turn me over, something to that effect. So uh, Lawrence died uh, with the ardor of faith in his heart. Um, so we honor him today, and we, we, um, we look to him to teach us to give our gifts, to give of ourselves to the church. And that's what Lawrence did. You know, he, the deacon is one who is ordained to serve. And really every one of us is ordained, not ordained necessarily, but by baptism commission commissioned, yes. to serve and through, through confirmation serve the church with our gifts to, you know, we are, you know, the faithful are the treasures of the church, you know, and to serve the poor uh, who the Lord calls us to serve uh, through the works of mercy. And so Lawrence teaches us to, of course, Look to the poor, serve them. That's Christ in disguise, and the distress, distressing disguise of the poor, as Mother Teresa says. Uh, so we look to St. Lawrence to give us that ardor of faith to as this, love what he loved and, um, and to live in service of the church uh, by giving generously of our, of our uh, financial livelihood um, to grow the church and to serve also by the witness of our lives and talents. Yes. Um, it was reminding me of uh, on Sunday, we were reflecting about your homily, which you could incorporate about giving generously because we don't want Jesus, as you said, to find us or to, we do not want to experience Jesus like a thief coming to us, which I think is a, is a very um, a profound uh, insight on that text. There are those who welcomed his coming and those who who would find him to be a thief. Mm -hmm. And your point was, mm -hmm. he will be a thief to those who have tried to cling on to their lives and everything uh, as if it was their own. Yeah. And when he comes to take what belongs to him, you'll feel robbed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, that really is the call. And then there's a proverb that says that if we, those who give to the poor are lending to God. Mm. And I know that, that some of the great theologians use that as justification to see the poor as you say, coming into the distressing disguise, Jesus comes to us in the distressing disguise of the poor, as Mother Teresa put it, um, as a, an opportunity to give in such a way that the interest rate on those who give to the poor prudently would be like a million percent. They understood it that way. Like when you give to the poor, like the return on the investment, mm -hmm. you may not see it in, in this life, but in the next life, the interest yeah. rate is just phenomenal. Yeah. So never hesitate to be generous, especially to uh, the poor, which is another way the Lord comes to us. You know, you said in your homily on Sunday, he comes to us in various ways, um, in the That's mass especially, point, yeah. but he also comes That's to right. us in the poor. The poor yeah. Sure. So it makes me think of two uh, immediate examples. I'm trying again to be generous wherever I am. And so uh, the other day I was up at the Hudson Street gas station, uh, topping it off on the car. And um, the you know, a gentleman walked right up to me and um, was uh, asked me for money. You know, I said, he said, it's hot. You know, of course it's hot, my goodness. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, I, I just said, let's go inside and um, I'll get you what, you, let's get some drinks and get some food, you know, and he was very gracious. So I went in and I just kind of let him shop a bit and got him waters and, you know, some drinks and, um, 
got him a sandwich and some snacks and things, some granola bars, and um, you know, just the time spending with him a little bit there. He would just he would keep. Can I get this? So, yeah, just you know, what do you, you just load up a bit, you know? So, um, and I prayed with him. Uh, his name is Tim, and uh, you know, uh, says he lives in a cabin somewhere here in the outskirts of the downtown area. So, um, we had a nice little prayer, and then a few days later, is at the CVS up here and uh, getting a prescription. And a woman came by. Her name was Renee, and she again wanted money, you know, and so. Um, just uh, tried to reach out to her, help her, and give her uh, give her prayer. And actually, for her, I gave a food lion gift card. So I'm really trying to try to avoid just straight cash to you know um, to kind of help them get what they need, but to really keep it to what they need, you know. And and they, you know, I don't know what they what they're gonna do, you know. And um, and I think that I you have to just stop thinking about that. You just have to say. You know, I said, well, they might go do something bad with it. They might go, and, I, and every time I think that, I just keep thinking of the Lord. And I said, well, how many times in a day do I, Father Lucas Rossi, squander the grace that the Father in Heaven gives me? You know, he gives me this grace, and then I go off and, you know, do something miserable or sin. And sure. It's like you wasted. You know, the Lord gave you this, and, you know, you kind of went off. And well, that was St. John. You didn't do the thing you, he wanted you to do, but that doesn't mean God's going to stop giving. That's you right. Know, and the other thing is, he just gives an abundance, and that's actually the first reading for the mass today, uh, from Second Corinthians, is that God will give you everything you need in abundance of grace. You know, it's par paraphrasing that for the feast of Saint Lawrence, but um, just God gives an abundance, and we have to learn from that to do the same. Yeah, I, I, Saint John Chrysostom, in one of his ancient sermons, I, I don't know when he lived, with fourth century, fifth century. The great uh, saint, the great orator, Chrysostom means golden-tongued. Mm -hmm. you know, he said something along the lines of, when you give to the poor, remember, you're not giving to someone's conduct. You're giving to the person. Mm -hmm. you know, and just remember that you're giving to the man or to the woman made in the image of God. His point was, don't sweat so much about them squandering yeah. your generosity. Unless, of course, you know for a fact they're going to squander yeah. it. And, and, and then you can get into the, you know, the, the, the trap of enablement. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, we should have not hearts of suspicion. Yeah. You know, we should have hearts of, of trust and yeah. that I have an opportunity now to share the love of God. Yeah. That's a great, uh, great story. Were you in your clerics when uh, these people came by? On Sunday in the afternoon, I was and I had my... That Hawaiian shirt on, okay. I was just going out, you know, to get the gas. And um, but then on yeah, on yeah, the next day or whatever it was, I was yeah. in my clerics for, you know, um, the other lady. Um, but yeah, just I find you need to pray with them, get to know their name, and just talk with them as persons. They are persons, and I think it's important that we help them rise above just that. Can you give me some money for this? It's hot. I need to. You know, they have a story, and maybe it's right, and it's true, and maybe it isn't, but. I think it's just sort of, what's your name? You know, how can I pray for you? Just pray with them. And I think that you do that and you just pray with somebody. It's, you know, it reminds me, you know, you do have human dignity, even though you're in a difficult way right now. And, you know, for me just to throw money and move on isn't really my role as a Christian either. I'm, it's more than that. They, they need charity. You know, and that isn't just, here's some money. It's, I'll give you attention, time, prayer, you know, and open my, my heart to you and, and try to bring you closer to Christ right so in that little encounter to give more than just here's here's the card here's money and try and get out of it you know so, well 
you kind of have to we have to try to do a little a little bit more to raise up their spirits i remember um last thing i'll, I'll mention is uh, it was a poem written i think by julia densmore d-i-n I may have the name wrong, and the poem was written about 15 to 18 years ago, and I remember reading it, and it struck me. And she was uh, someone who was among the, she was the working poor. Mm-hmm. And the name of her poem was, My Name Is Not Those People. My Name Is Not oh. Those People. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a really moving poem, but it just chronicles her own experiences being stereotyped because she was among the poor, and she really needed help. And when she would ask for help, many people would say, well, you know, she's a part of those people. You're, yeah. you're, you're. So, again, it goes back to the point of be open. Be yeah. not, don't be suspicious right off the bat. Yeah, I'm trying be to trusted. Learn, I yeah. try to ask their names. That's one of the things I'm trying to do is ask the name of the person and try to use it and then use it in prayer. And that's what St. Lawrence was as a deacon. He would yeah. have been someone with a very generous heart. Right. And the first martyr's a deacon. Now we have another martyr. Today's a deacon. These deacons, wow, what a vocation they have. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they have some formidable examples. Uh, but, but nevertheless, what I want us to do is, you know, we're just a few days away from another great solemnity in the church, and it is the solemnity of the Assumption of Mary mm-hmm. coming up on August the 15th. Is That's it a day right. of, ob- uh, you know, is it a day of obligation? Father, I've got to ask the question. Is it a day of obligation? People want to know. <laughs> Do I got to go or not, not? Not this year. No. It falls on a Monday, so, you know, that's just the way it goes. So Yeah, well, you know, you're obligated to breathe, too. A, not always a bad thing. And then I think it's Saturday, too. But, uh, I mean, I understand it's just an issue with pre-shortages. And if you had, you know, an obligation right after the Sunday, so you have your Sunday Mass schedule, and Monday would be all over again sure. you know, for guys. And I guess that just is hard to, to do in certain areas where – but if you can go to mass, yeah. go to mass. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. of course, yeah. I mean, and I mean, those are the people. Who well, I can remember last year. So yeah, anyway, I had I had been uh, I was a new new Catholic. I guess I still relatively am. I was a new Catholic. I was here last year uh, when the feast of the Assumption was on Sunday. That's right. And, so, and yeah, I was, can remember that was probably. And I've told people this that next to my confirmation when I was brought into full communion, that mass was probably the most moving. Uh, moment of my Catholic life at the time. I mean, I was just so moved by it. And the reason for it is because I'd had a Marian devotion going back years, even when I was a Protestant, but I could never really talk about it. And so I'm in a mass and, and Mary is, is being spoken of. And I mean, the, the hymns, the, everything was just so beautiful. And it, it just about moved me to tears. And I remember that when I was a Protestant, people would look at my Marian devotion and the things that I would say about her, and they would, they would see that I was very strange or he's a little, little off there. But now that I'm a Catholic, I'm just normal. <laughs> so it was good just to be kind of normal. Mm-hmm. But it was just so moving, and it was just so beautiful in so many ways. But it is a big stumbling block, the assumption of Mary. It sure is. For our non-Catholic brothers and sisters, or at least for the Protestants. Even my wife has said that, look, you might be able to get a a non-Catholic, a Protestant to begin to think about Mary more often, maybe even cultivate a slight devotion. But at the end of the day, they still believe her body's in the grave somewhere and that only her spirit is alive with all the other saints. And to go from devotion to assumption for some people, it's a huge leap. Uh, And there's so many questions about it. So I thought maybe we would talk a little bit about the assumption, what it is, uh, why it matters, uh, also as sure. well. So, 
some, give us some of your thoughts um, about the assumption and what does it mean. Just define it very sure. clearly. Um, I mean, ultimately, um, Our Lady being the mother of Jesus um, is brought by Christ to heaven into heavenly glory body and soul body and soul she's she's there's no mary wasn't buried there's no grave and um you know in the eastern catholic church tradition you know did mary enter the great sleep i mean we're not even really clear that you know we just say she ended her earthly life you know but is what did she you know die in the proper sense of the word you know, it's a little, it's uh, it's not so clear that we definitively say maybe a great sleep. Uh, they call it the Dormition of Mary the Dormition, in the Eastern yes. Church. But, um, yeah, I mean, Our Lady is where our Lord is, the, you know. And so um, so the, that's basically the, what we celebrate. And so why? You know, and I think that's a big question. Before we go into that, just a little book promotion from um, Dr. Brant Petrie called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary. It's an excellent little book that I use for uh, res- as a resource, and I've been marching my way through it on, at, on occasion. Um, but there's, it really goes through a lot of the, um, it's called Unveiling the Mother of the Messiah, and Brant Petrie's experience too, being a Catholic growing up, being challenged by the uh, pastor of his non-Catholic uh, soon-to-be wife in the book, you know, they were getting married, uh, or the, the introduction talks about them in their marriage preparation time meeting her pastor, and he grilled Brant Petrie on some of the Marian dogmas, one of them being the assumption, you know, how can you say that she's assumed into heaven, you know? Mm-hmm. So being a grown up in Catholic life, Brant didn't really know necessarily how to defend that, and so it was kind of a shaky moment for him. Uh, and so going back through the Old Testament and doing a lot of study uh, with the old light and the new, we find that, you know, even though it's not first something Mary was assumed into heaven, even though it's not written anywhere in the scriptures, that, that doesn't mean it's not, it didn't happen. That the scriptures reveal to us actually uh, that, that that is what has happened to her um, and should have happened to her. Um, so that's that's what we, I suppose, want to dig into today. Yeah, we, we should do that. And I think his, one of his arguments is that if you really want to understand Mary, you have to read her in the Old Testament, right. the typologies that you yeah. find, like, you know, the New Eve yeah. that most of us would be familiar with. But she is, to interpret her, we need the Old Testament and how it points yeah. to her um, and, and many of the dogmas that we, we affirm as Catholics yeah. today. And by the way, I don't know if we've got time for that, but the assumption is clearly related to the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. They go hand in hand. You can't, you pull on the thread of one dogma, they all fall apart right. when it comes to, to Mary. Yeah, and I, I um, and just for whoever is listening, you know, how we understand scripture as Catholics, and this might be a weak analogy that I was thinking of, but I'm wearing glasses right now, I have two lenses. You know, in order to see clearly, I need both of these things to work in, in unison, right? And so the Old New Testament seen together you know, is how Catholics understand Scripture. You know, so we know that the old points to the new, and and both of them reveal to us Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in the Old Testament, in a very uh, veiled way, there are a lot of the prophecies that are there. But in in looking at the assumption, anytime we talk about Mary at all, I mean, the reality is you always start with Jesus. You know, I mean, so you know, Jesus is the Son of God. 
and um, he's fully God and fully man. And so if he is a son, if he's the son of God, then he must have not only a father, but a mother, you know. And so Mary is the mother of the son of God, who is Jesus. And so um, we look at Mary in the, in the ancient Near East culture of kingdoms with kings and queens and rulers and whatnot. Um, in the Jerusalem, in the line of the tribe, uh, in the line of the uh, kings in Israel, uh, the most famous one, of course, we know is King David, um, who then fathered King Solomon. And, um, you know, King David's uh, really bad sin with Bathsheba. But uh, anyway, uh, after they were taken to each other in marriage, then Bathsheba gives birth again to Solomon. And so the queen in the ancient Near East is, is not the wife of the king necessarily, but it is the mother of the king. So they called her the queen mother, and the queen mother was very much, had a very prominent role, and you can look in the Book of Kings, there were some really bad ones for sure uh, uh, to look back at that, but the queen mother had a lot of power. As a matter of fact, she was second in authority over all the kingdom was the queen mother and so she was the mother of the king not his wife mm -hmm. and so that's how we understand the line of king david you know and jesus is the son of david and so um he's in the line of kings and so if mary gives birth to the son of god who is jesus christ no protestant would argue that he is the king of the universe he is the supreme king of uh, he's king of king and lord of lords mm -hmm. right um as we sing and the great uh, Isaiah hymns sometimes sung in around Christmas time and whatnot. The Messiah, Handel's Messiah, but King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Hallelujah, Chorus, whatever you want to call it. He's King of Kings. So that would make Mary a queen. And the queen mother. The queen mother, right, because she's a queen because she gave birth to the king. Yeah, That's but a Protestant would say, well, that yeah, but that doesn't necessarily, why should I then believe that she has been bodily assumed in, oh. into heaven? Sure. She could still be the queen in a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. Why should I believe that she is intact body and soul? Because right. it's not clearly spelled out in the Bible. And that's, that's what the typical right. objection would be. What would you say to that? Why should I believe then? And this is dogma. I mean, that when Pope, was it Pope, uh, who was the, uh, 1950? Pius XII. Yeah, when Pius XII, he said that this should be affirmed and believed by all Christians, sure. that she was bodily Well, is, is Christ risen from the dead body and soul? Yes or no? Yes, the yes. answer would be yes. Right. So he where, was bodily where, raised from the where dead. Where is he? He's in the he's in heaven with his father ruling now, in this yes he's God so he's not he's not taken away from us he's fully present in the Eucharist, in the sacramental life of the church yes he's not gone away but his, his ascension into the heaven to the right hand of the Father yeah. right so, um, the um, Psalm forty five uh, speaks about this this queen, and um, that is I think it's the Psalm for the morning mass. Um, I suppose we're having some thunder. If you hear rumbling, it's not my stomach. Um, let's see here. Mass of the day. We have, uh, yes, we have a very short passage from Psalm 45. It says, The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. Um, Hear, O daughter, see, turn your ear, forget your people in your father's house. So shall the king desire your beauty, for he is your lord. They are born with gladness and joy. They enter the palace of the king. Um, you know, and that the reality is that 
if Jesus is in heaven, body and soul, then he then marries the queen. So he brings the queen to his to his right hand, you know, to his right hand. He's at the right hand of the father, and now where's the queen mother at the right of the king? Right. I, I do think there's, there's there's a parallel also in some of the Psalms about the king and the ark of the covenant. Huge. Yeah. So um, we certainly I, can get to that. Well, you know, she is. You know, we'll just try to sum this. If you really read Luke, she is really presented as being the kind of new living ark of the covenant. Um, as a person, the Ark of the Covenant comes as a person. The Ark hell had within it um, the bread from heaven, the the Ten Commandments written on stone, and Aaron's priestly staff. Correct. Mary had within her the true bread from heaven, the mm-hmm. Word of God written on her flesh, and was uh, the Word of God that became flesh, and who was the great high priest. And so you put those two together that she's a kind of Ark. My point for this conversation is that you do have these intimations in the Psalms about the Ark of the Covenant being with the king. Go to the place of your rest. You and the Ark of your strength is one of the Psalms. Yeah, actually, this is Psalm 132, which is uh, used for the vigil mass for the Assumption, which is, I think, the only Psalm that brings up the Ark. But here we have, Behold, we heard it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go, let us enter his dwelling, let us worship at his footstool. Uh, what, we, what did they find in Ephrathah? You know, the ark. May your priest be clothed with justice. For the sake of David, your servant, reject not the plea of your anointed. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He prefers her to his dwelling. Zion is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for her I prefer. And so this... Uh, this shows, Lord, go up to the place of your rest, you and the ark of your holiness, is Psalm 132. Um, so it's this idea that the presence of God for the Israelites was associated with the presence of the ark. The ark was the visible presence of God. Mm-hmm. And when Israel carried the ark with them in battle, they always won. Right. And we, as you said, what's in the ark is the manna, the Ten Commandments, the laws of the law, the bread from heaven, and then the staff, the priest, the priesthood of Aaron. Um, and so, what was the, the ark was also was also fashioned and to be created very specifically. And God lays that out in the Old Testament. It says, "Fashion it to Moses. Fashion it with acacia wood, pure, mm-hmm. you know, pure gold. It was to be, you know, made of all these unblemished, pure, beautiful materials." Uncorrupt, incorrupt, right? The ark was was to be free of any corruption, um, and so, uh, and then David, later King David, uh, they find the ark and bring it back to uh, to Jerusalem, and uh, David is dancing at the presence of the ark. David is wearing priestly vestments um, as the ark comes to him. There's a great celebration, and so it says that David, you know, was was dancing. You know, and so the church uses that reading, um, but it connects with the gospel for the next day, which is the visitation where Mary goes to the hill country of Judah. Same thing. David is in the Old Testament in the hill country of Judah dancing with joy because the ark is coming into his presence. And then when Elizabeth greets uh, Mary, she's leaping. Uh, the child in her womb, John the Baptist, is leaping for joy. She's uh the Holy Spirit has overshadowed Mary in the, in the first chapter of Luke with the Annunciation when Gabriel visits her. The cloud, the Holy Spirit is the, seen as the cloud of God's presence in the Old Testament when the Israelites were in wandering in the desert. The cloud came upon the tent showing God's presence surrounding the ark. 
in the New Testament, Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And that's, the point, that's, what we're, that's the point we're making, really. Um, so if the Ark has a, place to, a proper place to be, a dwelling place, in the Old Covenant, um, which is in the Temple of Jerusalem, but we know that later on the Temple is totally destroyed, and God, Jesus tells him, you know, this Temple is going to be destroyed. His body is now the new Temple. Jesus Christ is the new Temple. And his ark would need to be with him. Correct. Yes. So the temple and the ark always going together. And so the ark was a physical thing. I mean, you, it was fashioned. So Mary is a human being, totally fashioned, uh, clean from sin, um, incorruptible, you know, incorrupt, uh, to be the dwelling place of the presence of God Most High. Well, that brings, there's a couple points I want to make, but now that you've touched on it, that's why the dogma of the assumption is totally related to the dogma of her immaculate conception. Right, yeah. Because if she was conceived without sin, and, and, and death are the wages of sin, mm -hmm. then it would follow that if she were truly sinless, then she could not have suffered corruption. The decay. And decay. Yeah, right. Uh, from from death. I mean, right. so that's why you can't just have. Well, I will espouse the doctrine of the uh, the dogma of the immaculate conception, but I'm not so sure about the assumption. It's all interrelated. Sure, you get from one to the other. Right. And the second thing is, is that I, I would even say to my non-Catholic friends. If you search the scriptures, it's not outside the realm of possibility, a kind of assumption. You think about Enoch in Genesis right. chapter 5. Yeah, the Lord took him. And the up. Lord took him. Yep. You think about Elijah, Elijah, the prophet, who was taken up into heaven. Body, chariots, yeah. yeah, you know, body and soul. You know, and, and I'm not, we can speculate about whether they've been translated to a kind of a resurrected state or whether they are still in their their normal human tent their 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 flesh their but nevertheless you do have those kinds of parallels and then you think about Mary it would be fitting and that's the word that the ancients would use it would be fitting for her to be assumed because would it not be fitting that the one that the god from whom he assumed her flesh so that he might live would also assume her flesh where he lives now that there is a fittingness yeah. uh, to her assumption but I would even say well we could even go to Revelation 12 but you do have some intimations mm -hmm. of assumptions in the Bible so we can't just completely and discount it and let's look at that because uh, Revelation 11 uh, uh, verse 19 and following is the passage uh, selected also, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 through 6, selected for the feast of the, or the solemnity of the Assumption in the, in the morning mass. Um, it says, God's temple in heaven was opened. This is St. John writing. God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen. And this in is Revelation 12. Yeah. Revelation 12. Mm -hmm. A great, and so it says, the ark of the covenant could be seen in the temple. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. So we've got you know, royalty, we've got she's crowned and she's with child um, as she labors in pain and it goes on. But the the ark, the way John links that, the ark yes. of the covenant could be seen in the temple, a great sign appeared in the sky, a woman. So that's, the, he's They're right together, the yeah, ark John and then the is, woman. It's not like, oh, and now I'm, now I'm going to look over here and there's something else. The way it's written, um, if you study the language, uh, the way John wrote it, it's like, it is the woman who is the ark right because it's the new ark the old testament ark the ark of the covenant was lost it was hidden jeremiah hid it when the babylonians came and, and israel was exiled or judah the kingdom of the southern kingdom was exiled 
um, by the Babylonians and the ark was hidden and never to be found again. They don't know where it is. Not, not knowing where it is is irrelevant because the ark, we know where the ark is. It's in heaven. It's Mary. Mm-hmm. We don't need that container anymore because we have the Eucharist. Right. We have the new law in Christ, the new priest, the priesthood of, according to Melchizedek in Christ. Um, so Mary is then the new ark. Uh, and she's the new Eve. As we say, Adam is, and Jesus is the new Adam, Mary's the new Eve, and, and, and acknowledging that God created us to be sinless, and there was a time when we were sinless. Adam and Eve were not brought into this right. world with sin. Right, and so they would not Adam have suffered Eve, corruption right. and decay. Adam and Eve were without sin in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They were, the first sinless virgin was Eve. Right. Okay, so I think it's important for people to recognize that that was the first sinless virgin, Eve. Right. Okay. And Adam, the first sinless man. And so Jesus is the redeemer, the, the one who's to bring about God's new creation. And the co-partner with him is his mother, Mary, the new Eve. And so they're not, you know, they're not wedded like that, like Adam and Eve, but in the sense of the, of the act of redemption and the new, the new paradise, the new kingdom God's inaugurating. Mary's there as the new Eve, so she is now the other female, the other sinless virgin, who's to bring in the new Adam, who is Christ. Saint Paul calls uh, Jesus the new Adam. So Jesus is doing something always very new in the context of the Old Testament to see that. Um, and so Mary is the new Ark, and that's really one of the ways in which we can see why she would be in heaven, body and soul, because her physical body brought Christ, carried Christ, and and brought him into the world. So, you know, uh, and it foreshadows for us the promise of resurrection. And that's the important thing that all of us, God has intended all of us to be in heaven, body and soul, every single human person. If we live in friendship and die in friendship with, with Christ, we too can be, ra- will be raised. Right? We will be there will raised. be a resurrection for everyone. The damned will be, have their bodies in hell. It'll be, it'll be physical, spiritual torment for eternity. And we'll have our bodies glorified in heaven, physical and spiritual joy beyond all comprehension. But that Mary's there. She's the first one across the finish line, maybe in a sense. Like she's the one, the first human uh, person that we know um, is their body. And so like Elijah. Well, she's a a full uh, participant in the resurrection of Christ. What is promised to all of us. That we too shall be body and soul raised. And that's what we're supposed to see in this is the assumption isn't just it's a special privilege for Mary, but it's also God saying, this is what I, I, I want you to be with me, body and soul in heaven. Right. You know, but we're going to face the corruption of death first. Mary didn't experience that. And the reason we're going to face the corruption of death first is because we sinned. I mean, that that's the understanding yeah. that the sin and death go go together. Right. And so um, why Mary did, you know, Mary was preserved from, you know, original sin. So. Jesus saved Mary from original sin. Mm-hmm. And Jesus saves us from original sin through baptism right. and through the, the confession. Sex. Still yeah, so that we still have the effects, you know. Um, but I think it's important to recognize or know this isn't taking anything away from Christ. Like Mary is saved by Jesus, just like we are. But Mary is saved in a unique, um, beautiful, and mysterious way uh, that's unique to her and who she is. Yes. As mother of God, mother of Jesus, uh, the Queen Mother. Uh, the new ark, you know, it all fits in. And, and that's why I say that the context is so important. If we just go back to the garden and understand that Jesus, that, that God's plan to send the Redeemer is all the unraveling of the devil's plan at the root 
and where did the devil's plan start to take effect was with a virgin woman mm -hmm. right yeah, so god could have saved us in many other other ways but it was it wasn't it was to go back to the root go back to the beginning of the garden and say he's going to attack it right at, at the root where i'm gonna there's gonna be another sinless virgin who's gonna come up and she's gonna bring forth the Savior. So what Mary embodies really is the future. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's the, the, the 50 cent word is eschatological. I mean, what we see in her is the eschaton that we are still awaiting when we will be raised body and soul and we will ever dwell with the Lord. And she is a first fruit of that. I mean, yeah. Christ was the true first fruits, but she's the first participant right. in the full resurrection of Christ. And remember, the assumption is not the same as the ascension. Jesus ascended by his own power. Mm -hmm. Mary was assumed by the power of Christ himself. That's a good question. So we don't want to think that the, you know, she has right. any power outside, yeah, Christ that is, she has any divinity in her Christ at all. Christ got his mother. I mean, it's, it's, it's right. Really, if you just look at it from a very simple relational thing, the son went for his mother, sure. who waited in perfect faith and was faithful to He him. borrowed her flesh. <laughs> Why wouldn't he raise that flesh yeah. as well? I mean, so that goes back to the fitting nature. But so there's so much hope in the assumption. There's hope for all of us. And it is a sign of what we're going to be and what the church shall be. Yeah. If she, she's the model of the church and we see this incorruptible, blameless figure who is also going to uh, be a type of the church, that one day the church also will be glorified right. without corruption and blameless, and yep. the true bride of Christ right. um, will be ever with uh, yes. the Lord. It is by the power of Jesus that she was, by, it was by the power of God that everything happened for Mary. Right. The Immaculate Conception, perpetual virginity, you know, uh, that she is the Queen Mother, the new Ark of the Covenant, assumed body and soul into heaven. It's all God. It's all what God's doing in her life. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I like to to reflect on is that since she is the new Ark of the Covenant, one of the purposes of the Ark was that it was an instrument of war. Mm -hmm. It was carried by the priests into battle. Yeah, and so Mary's assumption is the Ark now preceding us, the Church, into the spiritual battle. Um, against the principalities and the powers, as Paul would put it in Ephesians chapter 6. So Mary's assumption has a mission. It's a missional role. Yep. And, you know, she is fully intact to mediate great graces from heaven to us as the ark to go before us into our own battles in right. life and the battle with the church. Does that make sense? It does, and she's, she's the ark, but she's our mother. I mean, remembering sure. at the end with Christ on the cross, giving his mother to John, to all of us, you know, that, that she is there, not in a distant way, not distanced from us, but she's more present to us than any earthly person can be because of her glory in heaven. Yes. That Christ isn't more distant now that he's with the Father. He's the, the closest and most accessible that he could ever be you know in in the world because of his now his divinity has you know uh has has been a, i mean he's always had his divinity but he's he he is in now the the more divine uh, sense that he's not in, in, in the, when he was in his earthly ministry he, he was just, local he, he's now he's local, more universally human present. man walking around with you know uh, hair and, and and talking and right. moving about that now after his ascension he's 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 assumed this this new overarching, like he can see everything all at once now, you know, kind of like the commander at the, at the, at the helm, uh, that, that he's more present. He sees everything. He's present to it all now as, as being in heaven with his father. And so Mary 
follows him, you know, mm -hmm. because he brings her with him. Yes. You know, and so that is because she's also his mother and queen, you know, and her her acceptance and yes at the Annunciation was everything, you know. I, I'm going to, I will say yes to being the mother of the Messiah, therefore I am now the queen mother. Right. And the queen's mother, as I just love that, Psalm 45, you know, the queen stands at your right hand arrayed in gold. Um, and the apparitions, well, the apparitions of Mary, she's always been seen bodily. Right. People who have seen her, it was, it was not a spirit. She was not a ghost. It was bodily right. as well. And I do know for the first few centuries of the church, you do start seeing a liturgical movement begin to happen all over the East and the West regarding her assumption. Mm -hmm. So it, it isn't, this is not something that the church decided, hey, one, one day this, this would be a great idea to just, yep. uh, let's, let's turn this into dogma. There was a, a trajectory that was already showing us that yeah. this was already happening because if it, if you're formulating and 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 solemnizing a liturgy mm -hmm. well that means the tradition has been around a lot longer than the liturgy you see written on the page modestus of jerusalem this is seventh century uh, when she mary had completed her life's voyage happily the one who gave the law on sinai and who administered it from zion our god summoned his ark of sanctification to be brought home from zion to himself just as David, her ancestor, had said of her in the psalm, Go up, O Lord, to the place of your rest, you and your ark mm -hmm. of sanctification, Psalm 132.8. She is not carried like Moses' ark of old, drawn by oxen, but she is escorted and surrounded by an army, heaven's holy angels. So this is in the 7th century. Um, and then John Damascene, this is 8th century. Today, the holy, incomparable virgin enters the heavenly sanctuary that lies above the universe. Today, the holy, living ark of the living God, the one who carried her own maker within herself, comes to her rest in the temple of the Lord, not made by hands. David, her ancestor and gods, leaps for joy. The angels join in the dance. So um, it's beautiful. To, it's also important to see that that all of Christianity was Catholic until the Reformation in the 16th century and Martin Luther, but that this is what early Christians, this is what they knew and believed and wrote about you know um well even the, some of the reform not to interrupt you but even the reformers i've got evidence of the reformers believed in the immaculate conception before it was even pronounced as dogma right so it's not outside the realm of it. they didn't just reject all this the marian dogmas right off the bat so i think the important thing for everyone who struggles with this is just always remember you always start with jesus and knowing who christ is and then his relationship with his mother is what draws out the reality that yes she's without sin like how how could she be with sin and carry the sinless right, one right and it was never and you look at the old testament it was never you never everything the ark had to be perfect right pure gold it was always this unblemished you know the lamb for passover unblemished unbro you know had to be a perfect right. lamb there's always this sense that that which is offered in sacrifice that which is going to be for god has to be clean Immaculate, perfect, right? And, well, and she's called full of grace yeah. um, by the angel Gabriel, right. uh, and always having been fulfilled with grace, if you really parse the, uh, yeah. the grammar there. I'm reminded of uh, Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. He says, those who have possessed, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but those who possess the totality of grace will also experience the totality of salvation. The two go hand in hand. And it is God's uh, desire to save us, not just in spirit and soul, 
but in right. body as well. Yeah, I mean, and Mary yeah. is the hope of that, that what we see happening to her, what she experiences now, is promised to all of us mm-hmm. who participate in the Eucharist, in the flesh of Christ. Uh, we all want to be raised by by Christ's own divine power, body and soul. And this, this really gets to a final point about just the importance and the holiness of the human body. The human body is the fashioned temple of God. The yes. God that seeks to dwell within us in the Eucharist, he does. Mary receives Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity at the Annunciation. We are getting the same Christ right. in communion. Like It's not like a different Jesus. It's him, mm-hmm. fully body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so we're walking out of the church as temples of Christ, walking around in a sense like arcs. What are you carrying inside of you? God, yes. heaven, as St. John Vianney says, yes. Jesus, you yes. know. Um, what did Mary do? That's what she did. That's what she did. And the body's sacred. We've got to take care of our bodies, you know. And when we die, this is a, a crucial point. We, we need to be buried in a very sacred, you know, way. You know, coffins, burial, graveside, you know, cremation, only when necessary, you know. Um, but, you know, no spreading ashes all over the place and dividing that up. You know, this is because we are to be resurrected, you know, and to, to preserve our bodies after we die is an act of faith. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus isn't lying when he says, I'm going to, and that angel is going to blow that trumpet. Right. And, and your graves are going to open. graves are going to open. You know, this isn't a metaphor. Right. You know, so um, Mary's assumption says, your body is meant to be risen in the resurrection. We're not, we don't believe in reincarnation. We don't believe in coming back as whatever whatever that is, you know, um, you know, birds or horses or other people. You know, we don't that we don't believe in that. You know, you're coming we 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 live into eternity once we're created. Whether we're in heaven or in hell at the end of the judgment, we will never stop existing. So whoever lives now and has died is still living. The soul lives is, is eternal, mm-hmm. meaning it, in the sense that it, it has a beginning, but it, it, every soul is, is existing forever once it's created. And God intervenes at the procreation of a person and the man and the woman in the procreative uh, act, that God intervenes with the soul that gives the, these, the animating principle, the life of that body. Mm-hmm. The, mar- the, the mar- mother and father provide the matter, the, this, the flesh, but they can't make that body have life. That's the soul. That's God. So every soul that's created will exist forever. Right. And and then at the end of the age, when Christ returns, that soul will be reunited with its body. Yeah. And for will, better, for it, worse. It, it, yeah. Right. And, and and the saved will have glorified bodies like Mary's, which is the last thing that, that I'll say is that it just drives on the point again that when we talk about Mary, it's never just about Mary herself. Right. It's always about Christ, and then by extension, the rest of the redeemed. Um, And so when we see the assumption of Mary, we are seeing our future, the one that we are longing for. Uh, We want to be completely assumed, body and soul, as she is, and that's what Christ promises the faithful at the end of the age. And I think for the gospel then, um, you know, for the assumption in the morning mass, to close with this, that Mary... You know, she says to Elizabeth, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he's looked on, he's looked with favor on his lowly servant. 
from this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She doesn't say, I've got great things going for me. She says, the Almighty has done great things for me. The assumption is one of those things. Yes. And so Mary, Mary's proclamation here is ours. Our souls, our souls that we exist, proclaim the greatness of the Lord, meaning not just our, just our spirit apart from the body, the, the, we, the soul is meant to be with the body. The total person. That's what defines a human person. We are not, that's what sets us apart from angels. Sure. You know, um, so the point being is that we're made for glory. You know, the assumption says we are made for glory too. We are made for heavenly glory. We are meant to shine forth with the radiance of the beauty of God. Every human person in its own, in his or her own way, has been made for for. A, a beauty and a goodness that we can't fathom that the way we look now and the way the human body is this is a, a, a veiled reality that, that the heavenly glory that we're to have you know and you look at anybody who over the centuries has seen apparitions of our blessed mother you know that her beauty it just they couldn't move you know they, they just couldn't speak you know it was like she just was so beautiful and her body showed that you know her her just her person she's a human person yes not a goddess and she's not divine and never has been you know she's she magnifies the lord you know she the glory of christ shines through her always perfectly you know so it, mary wants us to know this is for us right you know this is what it means to be a human person you know that Christ wants to transform us, you know, into into glorifying Him. This, we're made to shine forth Christ, body and soul for eternity. Right. And she does even yeah. now, and even Paul in one of his letters to the Thessalonians, he ends his benediction with, "May God preserve you, body and soul." Mm -hmm. And Mary is the fulfillment of even that benediction. Yeah. So, Father. Great conversation. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this uh, feast of the solemnity of the Assumption uh, on Monday. And I Which hope will all be of you at our new time, 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Good. New yeah. Delhi, Tell everybody about that very quickly. Lots of going on next week. So we're going to have adoration Monday, Tuesday, um, Thursday, Friday, 645, 745 a.m. We've got mass starting at 8 now on Monday, Tuesday, uh, Thursday, Friday. Um, evening mass on Wednesday at 6 o'clock as normal. With adoration for an hour prior to that schedule stays the same for wednesday saturday schedule stays the same 8 30 morning mass confessions to follow um, but yeah we add it we're adding this daily mass on tuesday so when the school year starts next uh year, next week that uh we're going to bring all of our school community to mass every day and it's going to be wonderful it's going to be i'm so we're so excited to all the teachers today at the opening breakfast and they're just they can't wait this yeah. is an unbelievable time and i wanted to inaugurate this on a Marian feast so the assumption is is that day that she's going to start us off with this new liturgical culture new liturgical life that's going to be opened up for us here at St. Michael so I'm looking forward to it yeah well great things are happening here at St. Michael and we want you to be a part of the great things happening at St. Michael please visit our website you can read all about what's happening in our parish at stmccg.org thank you all for listening and for watching until next time God bless